Welcome to the Full Potential Podcast. I am your host, Nick Wagner Sr. And every week, I interview guests that share career stories, ideas, and experiences to empower and inspire people to reach their full potential. If you enjoy the episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Brent, welcome to the show. And if you could uh, just say a few words to introduce yourself, that would be fantastic. Sure. Uh, Nick, thanks for having me. You and I have known each other for some time now, so it's uh, it's great to be able to jump on with you um, and uh, just love to be part of something you've really been dedicating your your life and time to. Um, so it's great to be here. So every you know every Sunday we, we hear from someone who has a unique and inspiring career journey, Brent, and I think yours is absolutely falls in that category. And we're gonna we're gonna go all the way back to hear how it started, and then you know how did you end up owning owning two of your own businesses where you are today. But I always like to start with start the conversation with the question, when you meet someone for the first time and they're like, oh, this is Brent Robertson. Hey, nice to meet you. How do you introduce yourself? Like, wh what do you actually tell people that you do? Because you do a lot of things. So I'm always curious, how do you actually introduce yourself to individuals when you meet for the first time? It's a it's a great question. Um, and it often depends on, you know, the context of the conversation. Um, but really, I think the best way to describe it is I help guide individuals and leaders um, to really design and live into a much more intentional future. Um, you know, there's this idea where if we just keep bumping along, there's going to be a, a way it turns out. Is that really a choice or is it just what happens? Uh, and my work really focuses on, well, what if we had a say in it? What if we could have more influence on the future that we wanted to create and what if we did that for someone on their own or through an organization and um, really spent the time to understand dream up what that future might look like and then go about the commitments needed and the development needed to be able to live into it and when you when you have that conversation with people and, and actually mention mention what you just said when you when you when you meet someone what what do they how do they respond to that right because when you think about that it's like a pretty deep comment right you're like oh i change people's lives right and that's basically what you're saying right I, I try to make your life better for the future how, what's the reaction to that um <laughs> yeah i guess it, you know if it depends on the uh, the amount of patience and time but most of the time it, it begs another question people are like well tell me more about that um what do you mean what do you what are you getting at um and uh there's a lot to it. There's a pretty big story behind it, uh, for sure. And it's really nice when that invitation opens up to be able to dive into it. So, yeah, and we're, and we're going to dive into that because I, I want everyone to be able to hear what that journey looks like. So, so you're an entrepreneur at heart. You're, you, like I mentioned earlier in the show, you own two of your own businesses. And I want to, I want to kind of go back in time to when you were growing up as a kid was it always your dream, Brent, to be an entrepreneur and own your own business? Or was it something that just, you kind of happened to, it just ended up working out and that's the journey you went on? Or was there always a, a, a purpose uh, and, and a plan to own your own business? Never. <laughs> yeah, no, not, certainly when I was younger, it was the idea of having a, a business of interest to me. Um, and in fact, you know, it's funny using the word entrepreneur, Yes, it's true. I'm co-founder of, of one company and, and creator of another. But like building businesses isn't really what I'm about. It's about practice. Um, it's about having a place in which a certain kind of practice uh, 
um, is possible and then building a business around that. Interesting. Okay. So when you were a little Brett, what was the dream when you want, what did you want to be when you grew up? I always, I always like to hear this because I always, I always find it interesting, Brett, that most people that have the dream when they grow up of what they want to be when they grow up, actually it doesn't end up that way. So what did you want to do? The best way to put it is kind of a, kind of an interesting story here. And some of it I didn't, didn't really recognize until more recently, like you start to see a pattern of why, wow, how did, how did this all connect? Um, you know, for me, I grew up in an unusual household, um, started my, um, life in Japan. I was a Navy brat, uh, moved around the country a lot. Um, so I was constantly sort of being uprooted and brought into new experiences. And so I had to get pretty good at like being adaptable and responsive to change. And, um, I also, my father was an electronic engineer who worked on like particle accelerators. It's a really esoteric <laughs> job that he did. Um, my mom was very creative and was a landscape architect, organic gardener. And so, you know, I would spend, uh, I was probably able to solder circuits when I was four years old. Um, my dad and I would like go to the dump and buy, like pick up old TVs and bring them home and fix them. Um, or I might be, you know, up the street with my mom, like shearing a sheep, carting wool, spinning it and, and making something. Right. So I had this like really strange life, lived all over the country, wound up in a little town in New England. Um, and all through high school, um, I enjoyed two things a great deal. One was art. I was um, I did a lot of illustration work and the other was science, um, fell in love with physics and chemistry. And so, yeah, sort of like being grounded in sort of the world that is right knowing a lot and or wanting to learn a lot about science and at the same time having this real deep creative expression started at a per pretty early age and that, that continued um as i went into college and i wasn't sure what to do with it right um you know i studied uh i'm a bachelor of fine arts with an art history minor in design and sculpture um and i also studied astronomy all through college so you know it's a, it's a, I'm like a misfit. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with a sculpture degree? Um, you know, luckily I was I had um, I had a design background too, so I was able to sort of enter into the professional world as a graphic designer. Um, but I didn't I didn't have any um, idea where this was leading. But I knew that um, I took my work really seriously, um, and uh, I really liked working with people, and I liked process. And um, my, you know, early stages of my career, I was able to have an incredible opportunity to really master some of those things. And um, that sort of prepared me to go off on my own. So I want to pause you there for a second. There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack. First, I want to say thank, thank, thank your father for his service uh, in, in the Navy. That's fantastic. Was, was there ever a thought in your head to follow, follow your father's footsteps and join the Navy? Not one bit. Not no, and, okay. Yeah, and in fact, in fact, the the reason for that is he 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 went into the Navy to get his electronics training because it was the only way out from where he was. He was in Wyoming, like trapped in Casper, Wyoming, and uh, he he really wanted to get out, and that was the way out for him. Um, so it was about getting training, and then uh, and then moving into his career um, as a trainer in the electronics space. Um, so yeah, that wasn't ever like a big deal in the family to say, Hey, follow a military career, but it was really, really useful for him. And was, was the expectation of your mom and dad that you were going to college? Was that, was that something that it was, it was, it was, you, that was going to happen or was that your decision? Um, 
yeah interesting right because i um my greatest um work in high school was illustration in fact i was uh, studied under a painter for a number of years outside of school high school to um really hone that that skill and i built quite a portfolio you know it wasn't kind of like you must go to college kind of thing in my household um but it was never like not talked about um in fact i'm the first robertson um to get their um degree and uh so that was kind of that's kind of cool um but i mean i have to hand it to my parents like so the first robertson to and to to be able to have the privilege of going to a higher ed school a really good one and um and it was art school and they were like it's totally supportive which is just awesome and, and as a parent now i think of that you know with my kids i'm like hey you know you carve your own path wherever you want to go as long as you apply yourself and i'm so grateful for my parents because it's not an easy argument to say i want to get i want to go to art school right i mean what do you do with that right that's always the question that comes up but they they believed and trusted me and and um and off i went which is amazing so and, and you mentioned that you, you went to university of hartford to get a, a degree in graphic design ceramic sculpture art history and astronomy which is such a unique i don't think i know anyone on the planet that has that unique background from a degree <laughs> perspective what, where did you think that was going to lead you from, from a work perspective, right? So you graduate from UHart. Where did you think you were going to end up working? Did you think you were going to end up, you know, sculpting or, or painting or, you know, what, what was the plan? So my, my first um, pursuit in school was sculpture. I, I threw pretty massive thrown pieces um, and I took on uh, internships. Uh, I was working in Gloucester, Massachusetts with a couple of artists there and it gave me a chance to really see, well, what would it be like to be, have this be my career? And um, I, as much as I loved it, it was interesting. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is going to be what I'm going to do for my profession. It's going to be something I'm going to do just for fulfillment. And that's when I um, took on a design major. And um, again, immediately with internships, I really wanted to see the connection between this, this uh, you know, fundamental education I'm getting in design, which was really, really good because it was, it was much more about concept and then applying it through internship programs. I can't say it enough for any, anyone out there right now that's listening to this, like get internships, get real world experiences while you're taking on your degree because you'll get to see what it's gonna be like to work in that career. Um, I, it was clear to me that that was definitely a place that I not only had um, some competencies, but I really, really enjoyed doing professionally uh, on the design side. And, and that ended up leading to your first job out of school after it you- It sure did, it did, yep. What, yep. what was your first, your first uh, paying job after college, full-time job? Yeah, so I was, I was one of the lucky ones uh, coming out of college, uh, 1994, right after the Hartford real estate crisis, um, when the whole commercial real estate thing blew up and Hartford was not in great shape. There weren't a lot of jobs going around, but um, I was lucky and I was able to land a job at the time was one of the largest direct mail companies um, in the country um, that was um, based right here in Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, I took a job there and um, built, started to build my career right from there. And so, you know, this was, so you, you mentioned this is 1994, right? So we're, we're talking, you know, quite a bit, of, quite, a, quite a long time ago. What was, what was your expectation going into this job? Like, did you really know what to expect because of your internships or was this, was this like, just, you really didn't know where, where, what was about to happen and what this journey was about to look like? Well, it's funny, like, you know, no, no 
well-educated designer dreams of going into the direct mail field, uh, you know? And so it wasn't exactly like, you know, I'm working on Coca-Cola or something like that. Um, but what I did get, which was completely unique, and, you know, as a, as a designer back in those days, everything was analog. We worked with film. I mean, AOL wasn't even out yet. Like, I mean, it was just like, we didn't even have CDs that you dialed up. Um, you know, modems were brand new, 9,600 baud modems were kind of like a new thing. Um, we were still using fax machines to sign off approvals, all this kind of stuff. But because we had a, we had a circulation of 2.2 million households a week, wow. what that meant is that I could be producing four color complicated designs and going to press with those at the big uh, um, uh, quad graphics up in Saratoga, one of the biggest printing companies in the world. And I was able to see my work printed every week, like hundreds of pieces. And so I was able to understand the process of going from digital into print. Um, and I was able to actually, we were one of the earliest pioneers of what they called direct to plate, which is the first attempt to actually go digital instead of to film when you went to a printing press. And um, it was an incredible opportunity. But what I really learned, though, and I didn't really recognize it at the time, is I worked for a company that culture was everything. The leadership, it was mostly, uh, the, the, the president was male, but it was mostly all women leaders, except for the, uh, the president of the company. Um, the culture was thriving. Um, the fun was a priority. Um, it was the deadlines were ridiculous, and we worked our butts off. But I, I got to see how the president and the team led and how much they cared about everyone and how transparent they were. We, you know, when the paper crisis hit, I don't know if anyone remembers that, we had all kinds of stuff happen um, that really hurt the printing industry. Uh, we, you know, we had to make some sacrifices and we did it together. Um, we took trips together. Like, it was awesome. Um, it was some of the most fun years of my life was working with that company. And ironically enough, um, where the president, uh, his name's Ken McGovern, he's amazing, um, where he sat um, is also where I sat um, when Fathom was born. <laughs> so Fathom's, Fathom's offices were in the same space as this company's, and I literally sat in the same office that Ken McGovern did. I remember when I moved in that the scorekeeping for the dartboard was still on the wall uh, when I moved in. It's, I mean, how crazy is that, right? That's that's pretty cool. So so it's it's interesting because it sounds like to your point, right? You know, you're a designer, you go work at a direct mail company, not what you would consider a sexy dream job for a designer, but you still ended up learning an immense amount. So I I, I, I just love that takeaway because I think that's a really great point for a lot of people that even though it might not be your dream job, you can still learn a lot, great get a lot of great experience. And to your point, you 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 got to watch how culture shapes a company, which you use every day now in your job. Yeah. So I, I love, I love that, that story. Um, from there, is that from when, did you leave that company to go start your own business? Was that your first four way into entrepreneurship, but did you have another stop before you started your first business? So I want to just, I want to go back to what you said though, cause it's really important to reinforce. And you know, when I'm, when I'm mentoring, um, you know, high school kids or, or kids coming into college or coming out of college, you know, it's okay if the if the thing you're doing isn't the dream. F see what it is you can learn and master and use it as part of your path. Even if you're not sure what the next step is, just realize that, hey, is there, is there treasure here to learn? And, and there was a great deal of it um, in that first job. 
Well, you know, that's when um, we got to modems that were like 14.4, if you remember. Um, we could actually start to use the interwebs, this this mysterious thing that went beyond the chat rooms at a on AOL. Um, and I started um, quietly in the background as um, I was running, I, I wound up running the, the art department um, for this company, I had a team. Um, and uh, like after hours, I'd start figuring out how to make web pages. And that, you know, it was a mess. Like the early stuff, the early HTML was just like, it was just horrible to work with. And there was no good web development applications. You had to sort of figure it out. And this I was, was like, this was, this was literally like the beginning of what we all now know as, you know, personal web pages. This was, this was, it. you were, you were like the, you were like the OG of the original web page. That's right. Yeah. I had, I had my own personal site. Um, I want to say by 96, wow. uh, 97, somewhere in there. And um, uh, I just fell in love with the medium because I'm like, whoa, you know, we've got all this opportunity for interaction and the freedom and all these things we could do. Of course, even though you couldn't even download a GIF because the bandwidth was so bad. So it's just, um, but what that led me to was I'm like, okay, my next chapter is absolutely working for a digital agency. Um, and so I was on the board um, for the Hartford Art School, and uh, I met this guy, Seth Brewer, who was also on the board, um, and he was the art director for um, this digital um, firm that wound up being one of the biggest in the state, um, and I joined that firm in 1998, 1998, and, uh, and I sat, my first, it's a funny story, I sat at this fold-up table like everyone else did at this dot-com startup company with the, uh, you know, duct tape and bubble gum PC. I've only worked on Macs. I'm sitting here with this PC and I show up for work one day and the screen is just a, it's like a programming prompt. Like there's no like GUI, there's no nothing. It's like, just start writing code. I didn't know a stitch of code. Everything I had worked with was done through visual language. So I wound up every day at lunch reading HTML for dummies and and that's how I like, I just friggin' figured it out. And um, that's how I started in the digital space. That's so interesting. Yeah, and, and it's just, you know, I, I think for a lot of people listening, some of us remember what this was like. We're like, oh yeah, you know, this was, we, we grew up with this. And then some people listening are like, what on earth is he talking about with a 14.4 yeah. baud modem? Like, like what, 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 right? Like you didn't have, you didn't have a high-speed internet? No, we didn't have it. And, to, but your point though, I think is, learning this as it kind of went must have been a really interesting journey for you because it, it it's kind of if to equate it to something that's more recent it's kind of like the the whole evolution of you know there's apps on phones right it was similar to that but it was just it was just earlier so so you were at you were you were you were at this company this digital company for i think it was a year and a half according to your linkedin at what point did you get the itch to start your first business right and 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 why right so yeah what was the, did you realize, wow, I, I can do this on my own? Or what was, what was the, the kind of like the driving force behind starting your own thing? Well, so that's when I started to notice, right? I it came from a company that had this incredible culture. I came into a company that was much more new and startup-y. But I started to notice some things like structurally about the organization. Um, you know, the, the different, there was, there was almost 30 of us there. The departments were very disintegrated. You know, you had the account team over here, you had the, the tech team over there, you had the whatever. Um, there was never any sort of 
coming all together and like, you know, daily huddles or anything. And there was nothing like that going on. And we did incredible work, but um, I felt like, man, the way this place is set up and the way that, you know, if I need to get answers to something, I go to like six people to get answers. This seems to be really wasteful. And, and it was frustrating. And, you know, there's lots of disconnects between what clients wanted and what the designers were doing. And I was then at, at I was there a year and a half. I wound up leading the whole creative team. Um, I was just like, and then I started to bring up these ideas to the ownership and be like, hey, what if we did these structural changes, whatever. And I just sort of hit roadblocks. And I was only there a year and a half. And I'm like, that, that's it. Like, I, I think I see, I think I see a better way to do this. Um, and, uh, that I remember it was sitting with my now ex-wife, but her and I were having sushi together and, and I'm like, I think, I think this would be the time to try going off on my own. Now in the, in the meantime, I had built a nice little following of some clients as I built my digital career, even before I started at this company. So I had some stuff going on. I was an early adopter. I had a website, people found me and that was it. So it was, uh, it was January, 2000. I quit <laughs> and, and, and burn the ships. I mean, literally like that was it. There was no, you know, I was on my own and I fully expected that I was going to sort of um, bump along by myself for a year, get this thing going. Um, and uh, three months later I had three employees. So we're talking, it went really fast. We're talking, you've now been working for yourself for over 20 years. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and going back to what my original question at the beginning, that you never dreamt of being an entrepreneur. Like that was not something that you, again, it wasn't what you thought you would end up, the path you would end up going down. But as you, as you gained these experiences working for other companies, learning what you liked and what you didn't like, you realized, you know what, I think, I think I want to do this. And you, you mentioned three months later, you ended up having your, 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 you know, a team, right? After only three months. So you're, you're, so you're, it's the year 2000, Y2K, you know, had just happened, right? So that, that was over. What was, I think I want, I want to just kind of paint the picture for people. What was it like working in a digital marketing firm in the year 2000? So where were you, so internet's a little bit faster now. Were you using, like, was Adobe a thing at that point? Like what, what kind of work were you doing for clients in the year 2000 with your own digital marketing firm? Yeah. So it was primarily building um building websites and brands and we kind of had a, a specialty of sort of high-end boutique sh shop for for digital and brand um and um yeah it was uh it was pretty primitive back in the day i mean literally we worked in my apartment in a spare bedroom we had client meetings at the dining room table um you know went through a herculean amount of toilet paper in that little apartment <laughs> it was just you know yeah i mean it was like and um, it was long hours and it was a lot of fun and it was like, everything was experimental. Cause I mean, it was like HTML one. I mean, it was buggy as hell. And like browsers, we were dealing with like five different browsers at the time. Um, you know, there, no one had go live was the, was the pre preferred platform, um, for GUI, um, design, which Cork express was still out there. I mean, it was, it was a, it was an interesting time. And if you remember, it was also the same time that Apple went bankrupt and Microsoft had to bail it out. And we were all on Macs, and it was like, oh my God, is the end near? We're gonna have to switch over. I think all this turmoil was going on, but on the other end of that turmoil, because the field was brand new and everyone was jumping on board, there was a ton of work and there was a ton of money. 
I mean, it was crazy. All the dot-com startups like raising, just burning through millions of dollars a month that, because no one knew what they were doing. They're just throwing money at it as fast as they could. And and uh, we took on a couple of big clients down in Stanford. I worked down there like three days a week. And um, it was a lucrative time for sure at the very beginning. So, so what, you know, while you're starting this business, I just want to like ask you, like, what was your big takeaway? What was the big thing you learned like early on? Um, while you were, you, you, you were hiring your first employees, you're building a team, you were doing everything right. Cause you hadn't, you had never done this before. You had never run the entire business before you had done a lot of other things that led you to this point, but you had never really done all of it. What was yeah. the, what was, what was the scariest thing that happened or the, the biggest learning? Uh, yeah. I mean, the w one thing would be, um, is that you can't do everything, <laughs> but when you start, you kind of have to. Um, I, luckily I had some folks that I, that were clients of mine that were able to help me out, um, when it came to, you know, how to bookkeeping and like tax law and all this kind of stuff, you know, the things you don't ever think about. Um, and you know, it was, it was tough going, you know, at that stage where it's like, okay, you know, um, it's time to like get, get like payroll in order. <laughs> it's time to like, think about these things. And, um, you know, that's pretty scary. I remember. Um, and it all, the buck stops. I remember one time we had some sort of a software snafu and accidentally launched a company's website before it was supposed to. But for whatever reason, the server went down and we lost the original site. And um, my whole family had gone away on vacation. And there I was working 24 seven for like three days in a row trying to like repair the damage. Um, I didn't have any choice. And that was like, at the time, I'm like, oh my God, like I could, it was the worst thing I could have ever mistake that could have ever happened. It was no big deal at the end of the day. But um, at the moment, boy, I'll tell you, it's uh, scary. Yeah, no, I, and, and I, I think I, I asked that question. I think a lot of people look at being an entrepreneur or owning their own business as this really uber glamorous, sexy, fun thing. And while there is some of that, right, I think what, the example you just gave, right, is everything stopped with you. You were the owner. Any problem that came through, you had to solve, right? No matter yeah. if it was technical or sales or accounting or HR, it was you. And that's that's a lot of pressure for people, which I think, you know, not everyone realizes when you're an entrepreneur how much pressure is on you to deliver, especially when you start hiring people like you did and people are counting on you to bring in sales to feed feed them and their families. That That's a lot. So, yeah. So I want I want to talk about so this was and the name of this business was if do I I want to say right was it Trimerous was the name of it? So the yeah in two thousand it was BR Graphic Design very you know original name <laughs> my initials um, and then really it was about the time that um, my uh, fiance at the time um, had enough of us working out of the apartment we decided to finally rent a, a four hundred and fifty square foot. Um, space on La Salle and West Hartford Center. Um, and uh, that was when we changed the company name to Trimeris. And and from there, you merged that company with another company and your current company, Fathom, was born. Correct. Yes. So my firm was hired by this guy, Dave Loudon, who was a hotshot um, marketing, uh, chief marketing officer from the dot-com West Coast came here to take on a big um, startup here in Hartford, 
of course, like all, like almost all of them, it went belly up pretty quickly during the dot-com bust. Um, and he went off on his own and started a, um, a consulting firm doing uh, strategic marketing consulting. And uh, he hired us to help him build his business and his identity. Wound up sharing space together, wound up outgrowing. We were at the exchange in Farmington. We wound up outgrowing that space and we decided to move downtown back to where it all started on 100 Allen Street above Agave. And uh, we moved into that space. And then one day we're like, we're like exchanging checks with each other because like we were not the same company. And so he, his clients were coming to me and my clients are going to him. And we're like, we had to reconcile at the end of each month. We're writing each other these checks. We're like, why are we doing this? Why don't we just join as partners? And that was it. And then we, we decided to, to create a, a partnership. And that's when Fathom was born. 2007. And so two, so that was 13 years ago. And, yeah. and at that oh, I'm sorry, point, 2005, excuse me. Yeah. 2005. So 15 years ago, at that point, <laughs> yeah. Fathom was truly a digital, a digital and strategic marketing company. Correct. It was very different from what you do today in the sense of very different. Back then you were, you were building web pages and, and building brands and doing technology work. Now you've, you've really shifted that quite a bit. So I want to hear a little bit about just 15 years is a long time to own a business. At what point did you decide to change and kind of just shift the entire business model to your current model? And if you could share with our audience, what does Fathom do today that is sure. so different from what you did 15 years ago? Yeah, yeah. So to, to make it to make it really simple, Fathom um, was a marketing firm, digital marketing strategy brand. And um, we did really well. Um, our, in our heyday, we had 35 employees. Um, we were winning a bunch of awards, um, getting a lot of recognition. Um, and the busier we got, the more successful we got, the more sort of it became about running the business, which is not was not like the favorite thing. Like the favorite thing was doing great work. Um, and what also happened was we realized that, um, you know, to keep feeding this, this machine that we were building, um, you know, we had to take on, you know, a lot of new clients, which is great. But um, we, the work we were doing, the reason we were so good at it is because it had to have a soul. Like it had to mean something to us. And we found that, you know, to keep the business running, we had to take a lot of business where, the companies we were working with were like, ugh, you know, it's like, but we have, you know what I mean? So it was like, we're like, what are we doing? And it, it kind of like dawned on us. So it's like, wait a minute, are we willing to spend our professional careers more or less compelling people to buy stuff they don't need? And that's where we sort of stopped and said, hold on a minute. Um, and um, we also discovered that we had this really interesting gift where um, to do our work, we needed to help our clients answer some answer some pretty big questions like, well, why does this business exist? For what purpose? What, what's this all about beyond just the products you sell? What we discovered with, was when we would help them answer those questions, um, it started to change a lot about their business. That Their businesses started to perform way better. Their culture started to thrive. It wasn't just, but we were doing it just so we could get their brand straightened out, right? And that's kind of where the genesis of what Fathom is today was born was, hey, wait a minute, we're doing all this heavy lifting for free so that we can do the project that we were hired to do, but it's changing everything. What if that's what we focused our attention on? And that really became the journey that um, was really marked in a pretty sharp transition about two and a half years ago, where Fathom went from you know, doing marketing and, and branding and those kinds of things, building websites, et cetera, to really being about this thing we call future design, which is really what Fathom is focused on today. So, so I want to talk about that because that, I think that's 
what you just said and what you highlighted, Brent, I think is a bold, is a bold thing to be able to recognize and then not only recognize, but then actually take action on it. Right. So you, you, and you and your partner realized, okay, we have the successful business, right? Cause when you think about what you just said, you have the successful business, you keep growing, you're winning awards, you're getting all the, all these, you know, these clients coming to you, you have this great team of people doing all this great work. And you're like, is this really what we want to do? And then, and you realize no. And then you realize that through the process, because you mentioned you love process of figuring out their brand, you were actually helping them figure out bigger problems for the company. Yes. So some people would have just said, well, that's interesting, but you know, we have this great business. We're just going to leave it alone. Right. But you don't leave things alone. So I, I guess my point is that you weren't afraid. You, first of all, you weren't afraid to start a business way back when and actually leave a leave a job to start your own company, but then, a really good job. Yep. <laughs> then you, you weren't that you weren't, you weren't afraid to pivot. Right. Which I think is, that's a, it's a very terrifying thing for a lot of people, especially if you're being, you pivoted from something successful to something that you didn't know wasn't guaranteed to be successful. Right. Two and a half years ago. What was it? Was it, were you, were you nervous? Was it, was it like when you made this pivot where, were you and your business partner, like, is this the right move or, did you know that this was going to work? Like, what was what was your mindset during that? Because that's a that's a big shift, especially as well as you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you, it, part of that like wake up moment of like, you know, what are we spending our professional lives on, and is it worth it? Um, you know, two thousand eight was a brutal time. Like businesses like ours across the board, all at once, nobody was doing any new work, and nobody was paying their bills. We got our ass kicked. 2008 was a disaster. And if you remember from like August having one of the best economic months to September being, you know, the, the, the recession was like, it was right off a cliff. Like it hit us square. We had to lay people off. That was the worst. That was the, and that's really what started to wake stuff and say, look, if it's going to be this hard, which it is, I, you know, I, I don't know what the, there's, there's no sugar coating it. Leading a business is hard. And you have to make hard decisions and you're not, everyone's going to be happy with you on based on those decisions. That's for sure. Um, and we're looking, I'm like, man, we just went through hell, had to lay people off, you know, sh shrinking to, to meet the economy. Mm -hmm. Do we really love what we're doing? Do we love it enough to, to, to like to have, have it be this way, you know? And, and that was really kind of pushed us along to say, Hmm, I'll also say this. It wasn't easy making the transition either because um, this thing that we were trying to do had, we'd never really heard of it before. Like it was kind of a new field. We had to name it. There was no name for the field that we were operating in. And, um, but let me uh, pause you, but you already did that once before with the websites and the internet, right? So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's scary, but you've already done scary. So it, you know, this was just a new scary, right? It was a new scary. Yeah. It's a new, it was a new scary, but it was, but it was like completely off the map of like any sort of known field at the time. And I think, you know, the biggest struggle was, um, that Fathom was like living two lives for a bunch of years. You know, we were holding on to this old business because it paid the bills right. while we were building this emergent business that was still exploratory. Um, and it was, it was tough going for a while. Um, and we stuck it out. Um, and it was like two and a half years ago. I use the metaphor, burn the ships. What I mean by that is to cut the ties with the things that don't let you go back to your safety net. <laughs> and we did that two and a half years ago. And I, I'll tell you that the, the transformation that's happened for Fathom and of course our clients along with it 
has been incredible. Um, what's happened over the past two and a half years as a result of finally saying, this is what we're doing. This is how we're moving forward. Um, and uh, it's been amazing. And I think the interesting thing for our audience listening is you went from a larger company with more employees and, and I'm going to guess more revenue to a smaller company with fewer employees and, and, and less revenue, but you're happier and more successful doing it, which is probably a contradiction to what a lot of people would think. Yeah. Yeah, I, so. I would say so. Much much happier, much more satisfying work. Actually, we make more money <laughs> now um, as a result of the transition as well. Uh, we work in you know, the work we do is is the hardest thing we've ever done. But it's um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Now we are we are growing. Um, and so, you know, the intention is to um, bring folks into the team. Um, so, yeah, but not to the point where it becomes about the business where it's, you know, more so much of our time is spent on managing um, and, business. and we're, I'm going to, I'm going to link to the, the Fathom website in the show description, Brent, but in, in two sentences for someone listening, why would someone hire Fathom? Right? So like, why would a why would a company come to Brent and say, Brent, we need Fathom to come help our company? Sure. Two reasons. Um, one would be that you're a leader of an organization and it's current state can't continue. <laughs> For whatever reason, the world has moved on and you're being commoditized. Um, you know, something's going on where the experience of your organization is just not one that um, is working for you. Um, that's on one hand. The other hand is that the leadership has uh, an ambition and they're not sure how to get access to it. But nonetheless, there's some sort of catalyst inside the organization that says it can't go on like this. It's time to bring about change. And I'm not talking about, hey, things are going pretty well and let's just do some continuous improvement. I'm I'm suggesting that it's, hey, our future I think is gonna be quite different and we're gonna need to be quite a different organization if we're going to be successful. And so we get brought in to literally transform those organizations into a new state where um, they're performing way beyond the benchmarks of what their history or even their industry says is possible. So it's interesting because you you basically help companies pivot, which you did yourself. And I, I wonder, do you share the do you share your own company's story when you talk to these these clients? Yeah, absolutely. Because one of our one of our um, key values is we will never ask a client to do something we haven't lived ourselves. And uh, yeah, absolutely. There you go. So so I want to I want to pause there and say first thanks for for sharing that, and it, it's it's a fantastic just journey on on how you ended up where you are today and how two people working together and, and the, the, the pivot and the shift and, and all the clients you help. I think it's a great story, but I want to, I want to switch gears because I want to talk about, because if you're not busy enough, right. And, and the, this business is going really well. You just, you decide in the middle of a global pandemic to start another business, uh, <laughs> which is, and I don't, I don't know. I, I wouldn't call it. Um, I, I don't think it's like a sister business, right? I mean, I think, I think there's, there's some similarities, but it's not exactly the same. So, so explain to the audience purpose practice, purpose practiced, which is your second business that you founded, which you just founded over the summer. I want to know what it is and why launch it in the middle of COVID-19. Those are my two questions for you. So, uh, <laughs> because that's, you know, again, I think a lot of people are looking at this as actually a time of opportunity, but I want to kind of hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the distinction between um, fathom and purpose practiced is, uh, that Fathom works in organizational systems. So we work in human systems. That could be a community, that could be a church, it could be a Fortune 100, it could be whatever. 
human system. Purpose practice is focused on individuals, couples, and families. And um, what it is, is it's a program for people that do not want to leave the next chapter of their life for chance. Um, they may be going through a transition. There may be, um, you know, hey, we just um, just had kids or, or I'm entering into a new realm of my um, professional life or I'm retiring, whatever it might be. Purpose practice is a um, is a not only a, an experience that we deliver, but it's a community that you become a part of. That's really about walking out your life with much more intention, much more joy, and much more purpose um, as a human being. And it's been in the works for about two and a half years, um, but it just went live uh, this summer um, because in the background, what's been happening is um, preparing. We have a team of six. Um, and preparing that team to be able to deliver this experience without fail um, in in very challenging situations, um, uh, virtually, it started in person, but of course doing it virtually as well, and uh, it just made sense to. And we had planned all along to bring it out to the to the world over the summer, um, and uh, yeah, it's been awesome because I mean we're working with people all over the country, um, and because of the we're so used to doing things virtually that it totally works. Um, we actually have a, a very thriving uh, community. We meet weekly um, as well. So, you know, you sort of get into the ecosystem um, and it's uh, been really powerful. And, you know, I, th I think it's a great distinction where Fathom focuses on on businesses and and really like, like you mentioned, like systems of people and, and teams or communities. This is really focused on the individual. So do a lot of, is a lot of what you bring to purpose practice founded on some of the work you've done at Fathom as far as asking those questions and, and kind of, you know, getting getting to the those getting those really difficult decision points that you need to make in order to move forward. Yeah, you know, it's um, but the thing that holds the two practices together is discovery of identity. Both of these things, whether it be through Fathom and about an organization, discovering its sense of identity or a human being or a family or a couple getting a sense of their identity. And I'm talking about not an identity similar to somebody else's. I'm talking about 100% unique expression of the either organization or the human being. That's probably the most unique thing about the work that we do is that it's really about pulling the uniqueness and putting that in the foreground, particularly the the deep human values and commitments and beliefs that are part of that person or that organization, those become um, really the engine uh, that all decisions and all actions get made through. And that's what changes the performance of these organizations so dramatically um, and what allows people to sort of step into, you know, the life dream that they've had so quickly. I mean, we're talking like 12 to, to 24 months like going from like, boy, I'd love that to be my future to having it be true. We're not talking about like crazy timelines. It's, it's really stunning. Yeah, that, no, that, I love that. And it kind of goes back to, I mentioned in one of the, in one of the promotions for this discussion was that you're just an inspirational human as far as inspiring companies, inspiring uh, individuals. It, it really kind of, kind of both, both, both sides of the coin, if you will, with, with, with both businesses now. So I want to I want to ask one more question about the business, and then I want to pivot to something you mentioned about the power of community and and a lot of the philanthropic work you do. But how do you how do you juggle two businesses in a family? Like how is that even possible? Is it is it is it 
understanding what you're good at and what you're not good at and, and, and being able to delegate? Is it not sleeping? Like, what's the secret? Yeah. Um, you know, I think what it comes down to is we have way more time than I think we think we do. <laughs> if you actually look at like, what does the average American spend their time on? Like outside of work, most of it's watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you look at it another way and say, look, I could be spending my night, you know, relaxing and, and, and watching a show, or I could be spending it with a community of folks taking something on. Well, there you go. I mean, you and I are sitting here at eight o'clock on a Sunday. I couldn't wait to be on this with you. Why? Well, because we, we love what we do and we just right. figure it out. You know, Mike, I, I have a very, very close relationship with my three kids and, um, they understand that I've got a lot of obligations, but we're very clear. Like, okay, guys, between nine and 11 on Saturday, I'm, you know, purpose practice is what I do every Saturday morning, but come 12 o'clock, we're off hiking in the woods and like, we're completely together. And so the time we have together, um, you know, we we're really clear that I'm not like on my phone. You know what I mean? Like I'm fully intentional about where I'm at, um, in any given moment. And it's, it is pretty stunning, I think, what, what it is that you can, um, how much time there is available if you're really thoughtful and considerate, even finding time to just to be quiet and think. Um, I actually live by my calendar, and so I use my calendar to, to block that stuff off. Um, also, um, and this is a big one, ask for help. Man, you know, we're just talking about this, we had a, we're running a workshop yesterday, and I'm like, you need to think about requests as gifts, your request might be a, a way someone could step up into some new challenge, like make the request. And one of the ways the core team at Purpose Practice works is, you know, we each have an ownership stake in it. Like it, everyone is is got a part of it, but we're very clear about who's focused on what. And we free each other to focus on those things. Um, it works really well. And with Fathom, we're really rigorous about, you know, we use um, a thing called OKRs to drive our business so that we're, we're making sure that every quarter, every day, we meet every morning without fail to talk about, okay, what are we going to get done today? Wrap up with it at the end of the day, all those kinds of things keep us really focused um, on what matters most. It, now, look, it sounds great, right? It gets messy. You get busy, stresses, all those kinds of things pull on you. But as long as you keep coming back to that discipline, um, it's, it's pretty amazing um, how much you can get done. I think that I think that's well said. I appreciate that that advice. So I, I want to pivot to I want to talk, talk quickly about your philanthropic activities and how much community means to you personally, and I think to your businesses pr- professionally. And, and and look, you know, I'm I'm I've been trying to do more for the, the community and people over the past I would say ten years. I've been very purposeful about that. When did you realize how much the community and philanthropic philanthropic activities meant to you? Like when was, when did you realize that? Was it at a young age? Was it, you know, last year? Like how, how did that happen? So I, you know, it's interesting t- thinking about, you know, leading and where did some of that practice come from? A lot of those ideas started in, in the scout program. I was heavily involved in scouts. Thank goodness, man, that changed my life. Ugh. I know that it's been a bumpy ride for the scout program, but um, that was about creating good citizens. Mm-hmm. And by default, like reflexively, we would work to improve our community while we were learning the things we were learning and we were doing all of our outdoor adventures. We would spend just as much time improving the community. It was like, I mean, age seven, you're spending, you know, every other weekend doing a community project. 
And so it's just like part of, you just take care of the world around you. And that really um, came to life. You know, Fathom has a long history of um, taking on pro bono clients and, and doing things like that. But where it really started to come together was when SIP sessions were born, which Nick, of course, you led one. Um, and or you were the first this year. And um, you were the you were the first. Yeah, you were the first pre-COVID. You were right before. Holy cow. Right yeah. Before, yeah. Right before. It seems like um, forever ago. It seemed like forever. And um, you, one of the things that that we found we're, we're really good at is creating communities. Um, and, uh, in particular, creating communities of folks that maybe feel like they're alone in the fact that they are not satisfied with the status quo and they would like to find a way in which they could take more responsibility for the world around them. And so um, over the years, creating communities that are designed for that purpose, SIP session being one of them, Create What's Needed was one that was born during the pandemic and became a very, very powerful community to hold leaders together through this whole crisis. Um, these are things that we pour a lot of time and attention to. And, you know, what's amazing to me is, you know, I go hiking a lot with, with folks that are in these communities and just like, you, you won't believe what's happening as a side effect of these communities. People are meeting there and then they're conspiring and they're doing this, that, and the other thing. Um, it's been, been really incredible, but lately I've been focusing, um, a lot of my attention, um, on, um, human trafficking and the, the side effects of loneliness, particularly se uh, sex trafficking industry. Um, loneliness is the fastest um, rising health crisis in the world. Um, the side effects of it are just horrible. And, you know, the number one um, in the sex trafficking industry, the number one consumer group of that is uh, 30 to 50 year old white males. And so I do a lot of work now in helping create community um, as the antidote to loneliness and often it's incredibly unhealthy and dangerous ways in which we compensate for that loneliness. And so that's been definitely a, a big thing that I've um, been taking on, um, working with Amira, who has built um, a whole new way in which we can get people out of that industry. Um, and uh, that's been that's been really meaning, meaningful work as well. But, you know, there's this great um, uh, Margaret Wheatley quote, which I use often, which is there's nothing more powerful than a community that discovers what matters to it. And um, I'm the um, key, the MC for Keep America Beautiful's vision event on Wednesday night. And that's the core of, of that entire conversation. This huge national organization is talking about the power of purpose and community. And uh, we're bringing it out nationally on Wednesday, which is pretty cool. I, I wanted and I wanted to highlight that simply because it's, it's always been something that you've, you've you focused on in, in a lot of like your work and what you share on social media. It's just always been a great, I think, part of who you are that giving back to the community. So I just wanted to make sure we hit on that and I appreciate you sharing. And I had no idea that, that the scouts were a big part of your, you know, the, where you learned that, but I think what you said makes a lot of sense. So thanks for sharing that. So I just want to thank you again for making time tonight. It's been a great discussion. I always end the, end my, uh, my podcast with the same question for every guest. What is that one piece of advice you would give to my audience to help them reach their full potential? So what is that one thing that you, Brent, have done throughout your career, whether it was working for someone or being an entrepreneur, that's helped make you so successful? The way I would put it is, is never forget that you are a one-of-a-kind, unique design. 
Nick, right? You are one of a kind. <laughs> and that means that you are specially equipped for something, some unique purpose. Uh, find out what that is. Find out why you're designed the way you are. Don't worry so much about trying to conform into fitting into whatever the world has, because we know how quickly we step past the world we've created, right? Um, think about the fact that the job description of your future might be one you need to write. It's not waiting for you. And so whenever you're feeling like you need to like contort yourself to fit, um, find, a, find a community where you can spend more time on what are those unique things about me? How do I grow and practice those? Um, because I'll tell you, the world needs more of us to bring our unique gifts forward um, and to find each other and conspire together to uh, take responsibility for things because no one's going to figure this out for us. We, we got to do it ourselves. I think that was uh, well, well said and very inspirational. And I appreciate you, you sharing that. And obviously it served you well because you're, uh, you, you've been successful in, in a variety of different, different you know, experiences. Like I said, working for others, now working for yourself, now, now two successful businesses. So again, Brent, thank you. We'll link to your LinkedIn profiles. If anyone wants to connect with Brent personally, they'll find you on LinkedIn. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, joining us tonight. Absolutely, Nick. And thank you for doing this work. This is great for, I wish I had access to this when I was a young entrepreneur. So this is, this is a really great thing you're doing. I appreciate that. Stay, stay well. We'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Full Potential Podcast. If you'd like to hear more interviews, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. You can also connect with us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to check out our website, fullpotentialmovement.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing and be well.